Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. We are at the end of a three-part series where we look at the three parts of Bach's great Mass in B minor Kyrie section. We are now at the second Kyrie. The music you just heard was my favorite moment from this movement, as is our format on this show, but let me play for you the beginning of this. It's always important with Bach, especially with the fugal stuff. When there's a fugue, you gotta hear the beginning, the first entrance of the subject, and here's that striking melody. So if you're just joining us, I highly encourage you to go listen to the other two episodes before this to get a little bit more context. We're on part three of a three-part miniseries here, and kind of like a good story, you really want that first act and second act first. You don't want to jump into the last third of a movie to only see the conclusion. Bach always took great care in structure of his music. We can tell this by studying any number of his larger works. Even the smaller works have perfect structures to them. Here we have one of the most famous examples. This is called the Mass in B minor because the first movement is in B minor, but analysis of this will show that Bach made a careful choice here about keys. The first movement in B minor, then the second, which we covered last week, the joyful and carefree sounding Christe Eleison. That's in D major. Okay, so that's a third above. And then this one, the second Kyrie, in F sharp minor, a third above again. Musicians, at least, will see the symmetry here. What is laid out within these three keys is a B minor chord. The B minor chord, separated by thirds, B, D, and F sharp. Three movements, three keys, three notes in a chord, the B minor triad, the B minor mass. Bach had such a penchant for threes that you could almost say he was obsessed with the number three. It's not surprising. It's a very symbolic number in the religious world. It's symbolic of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this set of three, it's really Father, Son, and Father, right, Christian? Because of the way we talk about the Kyrie, it's Lord have mercy, talking about God the Father, then Christ have mercy, then Lord have mercy. More text about the Spirit is to come later in the Mass in B minor. Mm -hmm, Several times. Yeah, but he doesn't do... You know, just because of the limitation of what the text is, he doesn't do Father, Son, Holy Spirit right here. Although Bach does stuff like that all the time in other works and later in this work. But the sort of rule of three is at play here. So the rule of three is a dramatic device that writers use when they are writing 
books or plays or TV or movies or any kind of story, the rule of three, or even a joke, right? The rule of three is present in a lot of different media. And the feeling is that three just seems to be the right number for a list of something or for a story. Third time's a charm. Third time's a charm, right? The story, uh, a lot of stories, a lot of sagas and stories that are told in multiple parts are told in threes or groups of threes. Certainly seems like a natural thing. To me, it's a little bit interesting that in music, especially in Western music theory, we sort of gravitated toward the feeling of four being a, a more no natural pulse, at least as far as pulses go and groups of phrases go in, in most of our music, even pop music today. It's it's in 4-4. Four, four. The measures are grouped in measures of four, etc. But that might just be more of a primal thing about beating hearts. And maybe the, the rule of three thing is a little more cerebral. I'm not really sure. I'm sure there's some interesting studies on that. But the rule of three pervades Bach's entire output. And we talked about this back in season one on the Brandenburg three episode. And back then we noted that, well, we were echoing the words of Shinsuke Sato, the artistic director, as he noted that Bach seemed to really love to group things in threes in that particular first movement of that Brandenburg concerto. It was the third Brandenburg concerto and happily, Bach seemed to just use the number three all over the place. You had da-da-dum, ba-da-dum, 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 ba-da-dum. Three of those. And then you'd have three of the little three of those. And then there was maybe two or three other little little chunks of the main theme that are grouped in threes. It was clear that Bach was doing it on purpose. Curie, right? Three syllables. And the beginning of this movement really follows the rule of three. I'm going to play this for you. And listener, I just want to play the first few measures where the bass and bass instruments enter. Before we get to the, the answer of the fugue, the, the second entrance of the tenor, all you're going to hear is the bass plus the continuo, and I want you to listen for things that are threes, because there's a few different right answers here. So, what did you notice? Christian, what did you notice that was in threes? Well, you have the first three notes Yes. that form a little cell and also before that second set of voices come in on the second statement of Kyrie the answer before that happens the first voice has three sort of words like sub phrases we have Kyrie and then a rising eleison and then a falling eleison And that the last three notes of the falling eleison, they just fall back down to the, the do, right? Mm -hmm. And it kind of echoes the beginning. Like, thing. It's like a mirror of that almost. But, but you're right, there's this arch-like structure to it. So just that, just those few measures are a microcosm of like a perfect structure of a story or of a piece or whatever it's a it's a thing that starts gives you an exposition gives you something interesting that weird hook of it that's ooh, what are those weird notes this chromaticism that's happening there and we'll talk more about that a little bit later 
and then rising tension, okay, up to a high note, and then a release of that tension falling back down, a repetition in a, in a word to give you a little more security, and falling down to something more stable. Yeah, you know, Alex, I, I run the risk of sounding a little too academic here with terms, but it's stuff that we that we have actually explored in another episode recently. But I believe that there is recursion in the contour of this first phrase, of this first mm-hmm. three-word phrase. So you got your first Kyrie, it goes up and then it goes down, right? It's a note and then the second note, it goes up. And then the third note, it goes down. And then on the second phrase, the eleison goes up and the third eleison goes down. So the first the first word, which is Kyrie, has a shape that is a lot like the first, second, and third words shape on a smaller scale. Oh yeah, it's like zoom. It's like a fractal again, like we talked about. It's recursive. If you zoom out, yeah. If you zoom out, the shape looks the same again. So a way to think about this visually, listener, is just like imagine a, a window. The window is like split into four panes. Let's say that are like four little squares, right? So you could be looking at the one of the smaller panes, but then zoom out to see the whole window. It's another square. Then walk back a lot further and see the entire shape of the house. And it's pretty square too, like at least mostly square, right? And then maybe zoom out and look in, in a drone view about the entire neighborhood and you'll see that the block is square. So you get the idea. At a certain point, the analogy breaks down, but it's what it is, right? That's recursion. And that's what we're seeing here in the score. And then Christian, to stretch that a little further, when the tenor enters, it's like zooming out again, and then the alto enters, and then the soprano enters. Each of these structures is repeated, as we've talked about before with fugues. But you start to see it look, and in the entire movement, you start to see it look like this three-part structure as well. Now, you'd have to listen to the entire thing to get the sense of that. But I will tell you, I spent a good amount of time nerding out on this, uh, and it uh, it does work. <laughs> yeah, and you know this was not an accident when we, when it comes to Bach. Definitely not. Then there's the, just the general idea that a three part form has a beginning, middle, and end, and that beginning is sort of introductory, and the end is conclusive. So you have three short words at the beginning, and the third one is the only one that closes harmonically down back down to do. Right, the and third one is just right, right? Using our rule of three again, that, that's like the Goldilocks story, right? Yeah. Where the thir- the first and second, the first is too big, the second's too small or whatever. The third is just right. <laughs> yep. And it does kind of follow in the structure of this. Yep. There are three parts of the Kyrie as well, so of course. So that yeah. on, on a much bigger scale, it's it's that as well. So in in fugues, a lot of times you'll have that opening subject, but there's there's a lot of other things going on in the middle of the fugue because if the composer only repeated that that one melody a bunch of times in different keys, it would get boring. So there are other themes happening in here. There's a couple notable ones. I think them. I think there are basically three that are the most notable. The first is the subject that we already talked about at the beginning. The second is the counter subject. <laughs> But the third, and my favorite, is a descending line. Again, echoing the third bit of the first subject, right? We're talking about recursion. The third one of these main themes is also a descending line. Da, na, na, na. 
It happens a few times, but only one time I think it's in The Soprano. It's the strangest. Yeah, and that is my moment. We're going to lead to it right now. I love this moment so much because the music has been just really leading to some kind of climactic moment. Listen to the cascading feature here. Listen to that soprano high note as it falls down, you'll soon hear the altos come in. It's another note that's a little lower. It's actually the same note the sopranos are singing at the very moment that they start it. So it just completely blooms out of nowhere. And then the tenor enters. It's that same note that the altos were just on. And then sure enough, the bass enters and it's that same note. What that means is Bach is, has to be in four different keys, like, or he's switching between keys on each of these things here. It's like, it's not very common. We talked about this once a while back in the, what was it when he did when he did that? And we, we said it was weird. It was one of the fugues. Of course, that doesn't narrow it down very much, does it? <laughs> it was a fugue that had just like a bunch of fourths in a row like this. Yeah. Was it the, was it the Sour Way one from the Com Jesu Com? Motet? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So he doesn't do that very often because in fugues, you usually have a subject and then an answer and then a subject and then an answer kind of thing. Like it's, it just cycles between two keys in a certain section of music when the voices enter. And then it doesn't change to something else until that's already done. But here, he's changing a lot. It's a climactic moment, and it's giving us a lot of unease here. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that this is yet again, I think, the sixth or seventh bass drop moment that I've chosen for a moment of Bach. I I am too predictable at this point. Listeners, um, <laughs> listeners, if you hear us mention what the next piece is going to be, if you hear me mention what the next piece is going to be in any particular time, just listen to it and find that spot the bass drops out and it's probably my moment. That's It's too easy now. <laughs> Here it's a little bit more subtle because the bass doesn't drop out completely, but it, it goes up high and then kind of it does kind of fizzle and then it is out for a couple beats but it's after the soprano already entered on that high note, so it's not quite as obvious. But listen for that bass to just fizzle here. And now we're barreling into an ending here. We need a couple more recapitulations of the main theme here as the bass winds its way down. And down, and down. <laughs> Now for a final cadence and resolution. So there is where he leaves us on F sharp major. You'll notice that major chord that's pretty common like we've talked about 
the Picardy third at the end there. Another three, huh? <laughs> it's like yeah. B, D, and F sharp. This movement, the F sharp, right? And those those groups of three, those last three notes, the da, 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 just leaving us there. Just kind of a mirror of that da, 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 thing we heard earlier. And just an, another twisted version of the very beginning theme, which is the chromatic da, da, da. So it's all just these little threes, these little cells, as you said, Christian, that get transformed throughout this piece. Yes, and the ending on F-sharp major. So it does sound done, but it's worth pointing out that that's a very unusual chord. It's a very unusual key area to be in in this period of music history. An F-sharp major chord might have been kind of hard to tune with their instruments, you know? Yeah, right. And... It's also worth noting that it's a it's a dominant chord in the original key of B. And let's think about the t- the time of this, right? We said the first movement is like a, 11 minutes or something. It's huge, and it's in B minor, and it ends in B, albeit it ends on a major chord like like you do, right, with Picardy third. The middle movement, like a little palate cleanser, is in D major and sounds kind of fresh and sweet. But then this movement, F sharp minor, and even twistier and darker in ways than the first movement but ends on f sharp major which again following the rules of the era you have you have to it'd be he can't end on something else unless he's segueing into another movement like with no break and he does that sometimes in this work but not here so he ends on f sharp major but that is absolutely intentional because it's it's a dominant to be yeah this isn't if you done were to repeat it yeah this isn't done and if you were to repeat the curie section it would absolutely lead into the very beginning of the Mass in B minor, and I'm, I don't know if I've ever even tried this, but I'm just, this is a thought experiment right now, Christian, but I'm going to play it as we as we add the audio here. Here's the ending of this movement, the second curie, right into the beginning of the entire work. think that works it's just it's just the rules it's just math it's just music (laughs) definitely it works it's almost as if the curie entire section of three pieces is almost one complete piece except for its very ending because the curie first one is so long it's in b minor or home key of the entire mass its second part as you said alex the criste eleison is in the refreshing different style but also in the most common secondary key area that you would have in this relationship tonally, which is D major. The third part is short, the second Kyrie, and it's in a weird zone. It's an F sharp major. It has different logic as to why it is that way, but it's almost like one big long dominant chord, which is a way of saying that it is still pointing back somewhere. And the thing must mm-hmm. go on as we have explored in the Gloria and Etienne Terra Pax episodes that we've done, those are in major keys and they're much happier. So I think part of this is that Bach is indicating to us that he's just not finished. This is not a complete, this Kyrie is not usable alone. This is a, just the first section of a of a giant mass. Right. But as we said with the first episode of the second season, we talked about the Chacun from the Violin Partita. We talked about that felt like a cyclical thing too it 
it cycled through a certain set of chords like that form typically does and after it ended you could start it again because the next you know it started on beat two so you just end on beat one then you started you started over and like what i just did here with playing the end of the third one and going back into the first movement but you could you could just repeat that and what would that be that would be a repetition of the curie text very common in church services to repeat those texts or you could think about it this way it's a metaphor for like repeating those texts every week as you do in the liturgy i'm really i'm really obsessed by this idea of theoretical starting over with the composer didn't intend literally but the composer definitely knew that there was a pattern but it's sort of theoretical and yeah we we actually discussed this on our one of our very first episodes alex we explored the famous c major prelude We threw out an idea that not necessarily even true, could just be complete guess, but that the way it happens to end suggests that it could just keep going and never have a last note, but instead go straight back to the first measure again and just keep going because yeah. of issues of register and things like that. It just sort of almost feels like it's about to repeat. That idea of repetition in music and whether or not it's implied or doesn't happen but could work. I love this kind of thing because it could just go right back. It doesn't. But leaving us wondering is is kind of exciting too. I think that's, I like the metaphor of that, you know, but I also, just the more practical explanation is probably because as a composer, you are working on a piece and you play it over and over and it probably like feels good to repeat it, you know? So it makes sense to end it in a way that to repeat it again. I know that when I'm writing a piece, if I get to the point where I feel that it's sufficiently finished, I'll play it a few times. And I do want to try to always treat it like I'm hearing it with fresh ears, but I also can't help but be really close to the piece that I've been working on for so long. So completing a playthrough of the piece and then starting it over kind of like has to feel natural, if that makes sense, as part of the composing process. Hmm. I'll say one last thing that I love about this opening three notes. Again, those interesting chromatic neighbor tones there. It's just like the ones from the first Kyrie we talked about two episodes ago. Bach reuses it. The notes are denoting a lot of anguish, the way that both tones are altered. I mean, the second chord itself is a Neapolitan chord. He gets to it right away. He gets to the spicy chord like immediately. Yeah. So they're they are they're not chromatic neighbor tones in the sense that they are neighboring a tone that is harmonic, but in terms of music theory, what I'm saying is that all three notes belong to their own different chord. So there are three different chords, but they they work out to be this weird chromatic thing shifting up and down. Right. I just mean that they're they're a half step apart. Yeah. And they like orbit closely instead of yeah. at a comfortable distance. They like are too close and it's a little it gets puts you a little on edge yeah na, 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 you know a little freaky sounding it is but on the other hand it's also one of the most simplistic cells of pitch you could have of three pitches you could have as um any music theory student knows who had to take 20th century music theory in in terms of 
half steps, like the narrowest interval on a piano, the closest notes together on a piano. This is just three clustered together. And if we, if we don't worry about what order they're in, or even what key they're in, they are just one, two, three, just like that. And they are, mm -hmm. you know, there's only, there's only a few ways you can arrange three notes, really, if you don't care how they're inverted, what order they're in, if you just try to smash them as close together as possible. And doing so in terms of analysis is what is what we uh, we sometimes apply set theory to this. We're not going to get into set theory on this podcast right now. It's a hu it's a huge thing that goes broad. <laughs> yeah, it goes way past music, but its application in music is usually used in in music that's much newer than Bach, more like music that's about a hundred years old at this point. However, I just love Bach's opening three note motif because in terms of a little tiny cell, a little set, it's actually the smallest set there is of three. It's the smallest trichord, we would call it. Yeah. Because the way you count those is from the first one, you use the number zero, and then half steps above that. So uh, any given group of three notes is gonna be something like 037 in this terminology. And here you have, amazingly, in a piece of music that was written hundreds of years before set theory is actually applicable. You have a zero one two, the tiniest atom that you can have. It's it's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Well, also the theme that you can create out of the letters of the name Bach mm. is also a chromatic thing that is is zero one two three in mm. that sense. It's just it's all chromatic. And that we should talk about that in a different episode because this isn't exactly that. This is only three notes, but it's it's similar sounding. But there's an interesting thing, listeners, that, that Bach does sometimes in his own work and other composers have done like as an homage with using the letters of his name to create notes. But we'll get into it later, but it's cool. But anyway, I think the, the rule of three here is really, really powerful. Once you start noticing it in, in movies that have a three-act structure or in jokes that have three things and the third one is the punchline or just kind of in everything in life, I think you will start seeing it if you're looking out for it. Somehow the number three in nature is a little bit more deliberate than the two, the powers of two, too. You were saying, Alex, like a lot of music mm -hmm. is in four. And I think the simple scientific reason for that is that it's so divisible and things are in four because it divides neatly into two and it makes larger sec sections nicely eight or 16 and everything is just right. sort of perfectly squared off and um that works it always works and that's why most of the music that that we hear is like that and things that are three or things that are built in groups of three like this first curie eleison eleison this phrase this is unusual usually there'd be like question answer like call response yeah but very three, typical broke era. Yeah. yeah yeah th three is it's a little special some somehow yeah well, it's not that I think that the other two movements are too long or too short, or maybe like too sad and too happy or something, but you know what? This third one, it's just right. And now, here's the descending chromatic moment from the second Kyrie. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the Kyrie, 
please see the link in the episode description. Thank you for following us on this three-part series of one of the most monumental sections of one of the most monumental works in music history. Please subscribe to us on your podcast app and review us and rate us. It helps us a lot. Yeah, and continue to give us suggestions about what you might like us to talk about on the podcast. So, speaking of that, Christian, what are we doing next week? Well, this is a listener suggestion, but it is also a moment of Bach that is just so self-evident and one of those that I think perfectly sums up the goal of our podcast. That is, things that are just truly remarkable little moments. And it will come from the solo cantata, Widerstehe doch der Sünde, BWV 54. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Hey, that's three words. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Until next time,